0: Navigation system.
2: Please say a command.
0: On. Ignition. Powered. Seatbelts. Fastened. Shift. Drive. Twin City sports fans, hold on tight. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, this is The Ride with Royce. He's
1: going the
2: This is The Ride with Royce. Pete Wagner in for Patrick. What is he, chilling in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, guys? I can't recall if he's there currently or if he's on his way yet. I forgot what day he was actually going to leave town after uh, Christmas and he whatnot. He all smiley. Oh, yeah. He's, the only time he's tolerable, to be honest, is when, he, when he's leaving town. <laughs> yeah, he was he was salty uh, a couple weeks ago on a Saturday. But you know what? The guy is just, he's like the uh, uh, the, the It's the part of his charm, brother. right? He just keeps rolling. Yeah. Oh, love him. Love him. <laughs> He's also a fan of professional wrestling, and we're going to downshift into an area that I do a little bit of work with, with uh, Steel Domain Wrestling, a local firm here in the Twin Cities, the second longest running professional wrestling uh, promotion only to the American Wrestling Association, and then, of course, Heavy On Wrestling out of Duluth, and uh, they're both uh, great organizations to be a part of, and Let's bring him in right now. Mick Karch, who is the voice of Minnesota Professional Wrestling. This guy's got stories that could keep you here for hours. If you want to call in and talk to Nick, give us a buzz here at 651-646-8255. That's 651-646-8255. Mick, good afternoon to you. Hello, Pete. Nice to be with you. Are you ready for this?
0: I'm always ready for this, Pete.
2: I mean, I'll t- I, I've, I, I have to tell you, I've done a lot of live play-by-play stuff with a lot of people who are very talented. Bart Archer, one of my good friends, been it for 30 years with him. But there's something about you and me on the mic at a wrestling match, I think. Um, well, I get the sling out. I'm spraining my shoulder because I think it's just that good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it, it is. It's so much fun, Pete. It's so natural. It's uh, we, we go in there, and as soon as that microphone turns on or the red light turns on, we're ready to go. No rehearsal, no talking about anything ahead of time. It's just, it's what it is.
2: Yeah, we don't, we don't, we, we, you know, you're, you're in your corner wherever you are doing your thing. I'm setting up the gear and getting Todd Grover, our camera guy, under wraps, you know. I That's mean not easy. He, he's a loose cannon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then you and I sit down, I go, what's going on? And then you'll just say, uh, 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 and then the next thing you know, off we go. Uh, it's been really fun. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about first was uh, you know obviously the WWE is what it is, and and everything that we're doing here in the state of Minnesota is offshooting from that. Um, but but there there's a there's a you and I were talking earlier today about you know what do we really want to discuss and talk about here? And you had made an interesting comment where you said you know I don't really watch it that much anymore. Rather, there's maybe you know two or three performers that I'm interested in. Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, what what it is, Pete? It, it's
0: not that I don't watch it because I do. It, it's more that I get disappointed. Uh, every once in a while, WWE will come up with a surprise, or they'll come up with a storyline, or an angle, or all of a sudden here's a, a mystery wrestler making an appearance unannounced, and that kind of rekindles my interest or you know my passion for their product for a moment. But for the most part. I find that the WWE, whether it's their writing staff, which I guess it it probably is, but ultimately all the decisions go past Vince McMahon. I just think in a lot of ways it's become pretty stale. So to me, uh, there's a lot of sameness to it. So if I happen to miss an episode where years ago, I would think, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta watch that. What happened now? I just kind of don't care. And, And that really, I mean, for me, who's been around this business for a long, long time. I kind of hate to feel that way, but that's the way it is. I I just see a lot of redundancy in in WWE programming. I think from my perspective as a fan, they've dropped the ball on some of their talent. So, uh, you know, when I watch the show, I I just wait for a Brock Lesnar or, or somebody like that just to get that spark going once again just to pique my but don't, interest
2: don't don't you think Go. it's i'm sorry to me to jump in here but don't you think no. it's pretty easy when you're only competing with yourself and your only oh, competition absolutely. your only competition is this contrived monday version versus the thursday version it's still you're competing with yourself so how much can you do when when you know think about the big 3 with the nwa the wwf at the time and the awa and the territories there was legit competition to keep those guys on their handshake deals, wasn't there?
0: Oh, there certainly was. I mean, you compare professional wrestling 20 years ago to what you have today, it's not even the same thing except on the marquee it says wrestling. And I don't even think Vince McMahon likes to use the term wrestling.
2: No, it's sports he, entertainment.
0: Yeah, it's sports entertainment. You know, I think you can be fired if you say you wrestled somebody. But um, <laughs> I, I, w- I would go back to more to like WCW Nitro going head-to-head with Monday Night Raw for the the three or four years. The the viewership at that point between the two shows was absolutely off the charts. And to your point, one had to always outdo the other. They were always trying to get better. And now Vince McMahon, uh, you know, you could talk about Ring of Honor. You could talk about uh, TNA Impact Wrestling or whatever. He really has no... Or as Ed
2: Hellyer calls him, the Ring of Odor the ring of odor.
0: You know, it, it's, uh, he just has no competition. So it's very easy to become complacent. Their ratings, yes, the ratings have been down, but this is still a multi-billion dollar corporation. So even in a down year, they're making money hand over fist at the very least on their on their merchandising. But yeah, absolutely. You become complacent. You don't have to push yourself as hard. And I just think that the whole genre of of wrestling, what's being presented by Vince McMahon has gotten so far away from what you and I talk old school wrestling to the point where it's just, you know, they talk about how it's an episodic TV show. It's an episodic sitcom a lot of times. And, and that's really sad.
2: Well, so then that what that really does is it brings us brings full circle into what I brought up before. And that was about how there are the territories of the WWF, the NWA, and the AWA. In kind of a weird way, if, if if you if if you just take that top layer and just kind of move it aside, which is the WWE sort of TNA, who isn't a player, and Ring of Honor, and just say, Okay, now what do we have? When you pull the curtain back, you've got all these little mini territories that are going on and these little regional battles. I mean, you know, you got championship wrestling from Hollywood, which is You know, they've competed and they've come out and they're doing some great work. You've got Steel Domain Wrestling that's here in the Twin Cities that's been around for 20 years. And there's probably, what, two dozen other promotions that come and go? Oh, usually. But Steel Domain Wrestling remains a constant. And and Ed Hellier, yourself, uh, our entire production team, everything we do, we work hard to maintain its relevance. But there's something that's very true that goes on with that. The people that come into that building... For two, two and a half hours a night, they are thoroughly entertained, and there there are stories that are being told in the ring for it's sports entertainment, but in the end, it makes them feel as though they want to come back for more. I've always said if we leave a little bit early and don't drag it out and have people say it's over already, they want more, and that's what you want. Don't you think that's what happens at Steel the main Wrestling Shows?
0: I think steel domain is in a class by itself, and of course I sound very, very biased, and I am. Uh, because, First of all, P, let me backtrack to what you said about the territories. In the territory days, a territory may have consisted of you know, 15 to 20 major cities or a chunk of the country. In this day and age of professional wrestling, it's not even territories, it's cities, it's towns. it's You might have... 2025 promotions running, you know, in a 50 mile radius of where you're living. So um, it's it's splintered even beyond the territory. So it's WWE and then it's everything else. But what I say is the true professional wrestling is all these little towns that are running their shows. You know, on any given night, all across the country. I think that's the real pro-wrestling today. What you see on TV with Vince McMahon is something else altogether, which brings me to steel domain. What I think separates us, Pete, from the rest, and you and I have talked about this so many times, we have that lineage almost to the AWA, if not to Eddie Sharkey's old pro-wrestling America promotion in the sense that we like to keep it old school. We... Kind of abhor the nonsensical part of it. Uh, if somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, why don't we do a vignette before the card?" I, I shiver. I just shudder. I, I don't want to do that. We <laughs> the stage want
2: the fans, vignettes.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, we want the fans to get into that into that building. And as you said, Pete, for the couple hours that they're there, the intention is to not have them sit and chant boring or you suck or whatever it is, or, or, you know, it's well, that's not like so bad. Question. Well, it's all... <laughs> well, but, <laughs> I mean, but that, you, you, you hear that every day. I was going to say they're yelling at us, Pete. That's the problem well,
2: with it. That, that that that's, that's just another day at the office. Hey, we got to take a break. We're going to carry you over. We're going to continue. There's some cool things. Fortune mania with heavy on wrestling coming up and the 20th anniversary for steel domain wrestling. I want to talk about a couple of those things. We're going to take a timeout. Pete Wagner in for the ride with Patrick Royce on 1500 ESPN. Do you know what I ask? I ask if it's safe to work alongside Slick Mick Karch. Mick. Sir. You're still there. I'm glad. Uh, of co- course. A couple of things we got to work through. It's talking professional wrestling with the voice of Minnesota Professional Wrestling now. You've been in this business since what, 1958?
0: 48.
2: Pete. Pete, Pete. 48. I, I, I
0: actually. 38? I, I, I first appeared on, uh, on television. On an AWA broadcast, black pumping uh, an upcoming convention in 1985.
2: It so was black and white, wasn't it? It
0: it was. I was and I was black and blue at the end of
2: it. But it's 32 years. Wow! Since I've been doing this, that's pretty yeah. impressive stuff. And you've been around the uh, the business. Uh, I want to mention that uh, Robbinsdale's own former Minnesota Tom Zink, TNT Tom Zink. Uh, passed away recently, and there, you know, there's there's always far too many of these gentlemen, uh, ladies, and gentlemen that have participated in the sport who uh, who pass away too soon.
0: Well, Tom Zink, you know, was only 59 years old, and he had kind of dropped off the radar for a little while. Nobody really knew uh, where Tom was. He was living a kind of a quiet life, I guess, here in in the state of Minnesota, in Robbinsdale. And if there was ever a guy, Pete, that that should have gone higher in the business than he did. Even though he had a measure of success in, in WCW and a little bit in the AWA and, of course, in the in the WWF, Tom Zink had the look. He had the body. He had everything going for him. And uh, unfortunately, I, I think Tom kind of had his demons. There were some parts about the wrestling business that he didn't really care for. He was his own man, and if he didn't like something or somebody, he just didn't stay around to tolerate it. And I think in that case, it might have held him back somewhat. But uh, nonetheless, he was a great talent. I had the opportunity to work with him, uh, not only in the AWA, but the old AWF Warriors of Wrestling promotion. And he'll be sorely missed. You know, he, along with guys like Kurt Henning and Rick Rude, and, you know, that, uh, that ilk from Robbinsdale that.
2: Ravishing said, Rick Rude.
0: Ravishing Rick. They they he, all left he have been
2: Minnesota's far. best, do you think? Um, um, well, boy, it's really hard
0: to say. I mean, if if you're talking about uh, Kurt Hennig, you know, how do you
2: downplay Kurt Hennig? You don't. Uh, but Rick Rude, Rick Rude, really, I don't know. I mean, he he could really blow up a building. Oh, he well, could. I mean, Rick Flair would be Minnesota's best. <laughs> uh mean, you know what? Yeah, he, he but is could he be. Charlotte's? I mean, you know what I mean? He just was gone so long ago. You know, what I mean, so.
0: Yeah, and, and as far as Rick Root is concerned, you're absolutely right. There was something about him. You know, he was the innovator and the originator of the theme music where he'd get into the ring, grab the mic, and say, cut my music. And now since then, mm-hmm. there's been 62,000 guys that have done the same thing. But And a legitimate tough guy, too, Rick Root. I'll, I'll tell heard, you. I've heard funny oh, stories about Yeah, he was the real
2: deal. He, he wanted to fight. Uh, he did. <laughs> okay, who is the favorite guy uh, that you've you've covered, or or the best performer? And I think we know it, his first name begins with an N, and his nat- last name ends with a B. Is that am I correct with that? Is he the best performer you've ever uh, worked with?
0: You're talking, of course, about Nick Bockwinkel again, from a very biased perspective. I thought that Nick was the best world champion of the modern era, and I'm talking about going back to the 1970s. Yeah, Case can be made for Ric Flair, but again, you talk about a guy who had a sameness to his matches night after night after night. Nick Bockwinkle did not. He made the the lowest of the low look like a million bucks and make you want to buy that ticket to come back and see him again. Uh, The epitome of a champion, uh, I don't think anybody carried the title with more dignity and class than Nick did. Uh, But when you ask me who do I think was the best all-around performer in professional wrestling history, then I say Bobby Heenan.
2: Well, so Nick Bockwinkle as champion, could he have been what he was as champion? I mean, you're talking about his, his ring work and his pace and tempos of matches and storytelling, what he did in there. Now, when you package it together with the mic work and the way they worked, is he what he is without Bobby Heenan?
0: It's interesting, you know, that's always been a bone or a point of con, uh, conjecture. Remember, Nick was here in the AWA territory for about four years prior to the AWA putting him together with Bobby Heenan. So he had already established a track record, more as a tag team wrestler with Ray Stevens, but certainly he had already feuded with Billy Robinson and Vern Gagne and Crusher and so forth. But the pairing of Bockwinkle and Heenan was... Pure magic. Uh, if you watch Nick cut a promo, he didn't need a mouthpiece. But if you were going to give him one, what better guy than Bobby Heenan, who could slice and dice you with his words like nobody else?
2: Okay, let me ask you this real quick. Father-son combos, I want to know who's better. Uh, Barry Windham or Blackjack Mulligan?
0: Father-son wow. Um, It's wow. It's, it's different eras. I think Barry Windham is, as much as he was kind of on the edge of old school, I would still consider him relatively a new school guy. I think on overall ring work, Barry Windham was better than Blackjack Mulligan, but as far as being a big, tough guy, uh, Mulligan was right up there with the best of them.
2: You know what I think? I think Barry Windham. I I think I agree with you on the brawler concept and and the Cowboy Jack type of thing, whatever. But Barry Windham was one of the most athletic big men you'll ever see He was that yeah. guy's lariat when he was he was really good at execution and he had a swag about himself. that guy uh, I thought he completed the four horsemen into what they were. They were great with tully and 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 arn and 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 uh, flair and they brought that fourth guy in whether it be he or Luger or whoever it was. but something about Barry Windham was the next level to me.
0: Very, very talented kid, yes.
2: Your for thoughts sure. on Brody?
0: Um, I'm a huge Bruiser Brody fan. Uh, I always have King been.
2: King Kong or Bruiser? Which one do you prefer? Oh,
0: Bruiser. Okay, absolutely. Just got to ask, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, Bruiser Brody. You know, they, they would bring him into a territory where, you know, there was already another Bruiser, so they had to change his name to King Kong or whatever. Um, just uh, the, the original hardcore guy, Another no-nonsense, he wouldn't take up from anybody. He was a rebel. If he didn't like what a promoter was doing, he would go ahead and he would change course in the middle of a match. You know, yeah. just, uh, just to make his point, I, you know, I saw it Thanks. firsthand. Thanks. You know, he, you know, he wrestled Jerry Blackwell here in the Twin Cities, and he didn't exactly like the way things were laid out. So about 10 minutes into the match, he decided to do things his own way. And, uh,
2: was that the famous meltdown?
0: Uh, well, you know, there, there have been several same famous meltdowns, but uh, he, he was not going to take any crap from anybody. So his reputation of the business, either you loved him or you didn't. Um, but I tell you what, if, if he thought a promoter was screwing with him, then he was going to screw him right back. If he thought a promoter respected him he would respect him right back. It was
2: all business with Brody. Incredible stuff. Mick Karch, don't forget the 20th year anniversary show coming up called Winter Warfare on January 19th. That's a Friday night at the Richfield American Legion Auditorium. Bell time is 7 o'clock. All three titles on the line. It's going to be a great night. Get your tickets in advance. Uh, what is that? steelthemainwrestling.com is where you can go for those or check them out on Facebook. Mick, thanks for the time this afternoon. Appreciate it. Great stuff. Fascinating as always. My pleasure, Wags. I'll see you on the 19th. Absolutely. Uh, We will uh, say so long and farewell. See you very soon. Coming up, we're going to check in with Jace Frederick. He's from the St. Paul Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com, on the Timberwolves beat. Coming up, it is The Ride with Pete Wagner covering for Patrick Royce on 1500 ESPN. Welcome back to The Ride this Thursday afternoon. Freezing, snowing, the whole thing. We love it. That's why we work it here in Minnesota. Pete Wagner in for Patrick Royce. You know what? We've got plenty of sports to talk about, and we've just been uh, ripping through it, and we're going to bring in Jace Frederick from the St. Paul Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com. He is the beat writer on the uh, story now for the uh, Timberwolves, and obviously the big news today. There's a couple of things. One, obviously, links related We'll get there in a minute, uh, Jace. But most recently, obviously, Jeff Teague now is uh, diagnosed with a grade one sprained MCL. Uh, we'll get into that. Chase, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Pete, but did I hear you say we love this? Because I was, I was walking into the building today and talking with someone about how <laughs> normally it's snowing or it's really cold, but at least they don't know. combine. And today we got that rare combination that really makes you wonder, like, why do I live here? The
2: crystallized so- snow. The lo- th- That was very, that was dripping in sarcasm. <laughs> Just checking. I had a I, friend. I had a friend that was going to come up from Dallas. I was. Gonna, I had a friend, Jay. that was going to come up from Dallas. He needed to pick up a few a few hundred miles to get over the top for the year on some perks or whatever. Okay. And uh, he was going to go to the uh, Stars Wild game, and I said, "It's not worth it." it <laughs> he didn't do it. He, <laughs> he didn't. So no, no, no. Would you? I mean, if you're from Dallas, and, and you know you're originally from Tennessee, and you can't stand it when it's below sixty no chance. Z- I'm,
1: I'm- I'm a little surprised then because I know I've I know some people who are very worried about their miles and getting to certain like platinum memberships or whatever. Surprised you didn't just take the flight to the airport, hang out at the airport, and fly back because it oh. is that important to
2: some people. You know what? That, that, that that's crafty. <laughs> that, that's that's out, I'm out of my pay grade. So hey, you had a really interesting byline today. Uh, you just wrote the story about less than an hour ago in on TwinCities.com. I'm seeing it, and of course you write for the Pioneer Press and uh, your 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 first. Sentence: The Timberwolves' point guard depth is about to be tested. Obviously, Jeff Teague is out now uh, with that injury, and you know one of the things that we can point to with the moves that happened this off season, and you know the development of a couple of other players along the way, is that maybe they can have a a, an injury like this that comes in along the season. Can you talk to what this means to this team having Teague out for a bit?
1: Yeah, and and you know we'll see like with these MCL sprains, like his is a grade one, which is about. You know, as tame as they can be, but the timeline can be kind of undefined in some of these injuries. So, who knows? You know, it could be like a couple of weeks for him. Uh, it could be up to like a month, um, maybe even just a little bit beyond that. We'll see. But yeah, you know, he was out earlier in the year with a with an Achilles injury, and Tyus Jones came in and performed admirably, really well. Um, you know, caught a lot of people, maybe even by surprise just by how well he played. I know he's made a lot of strides in the last couple of years, but he played really well uh, as the starting point guard playing big minutes for that four-game stretch there. But it's a little different when it's over a month and people really start scouting for you and game-planning for you and take away things that you like to do and how do you adjust to that, things like that. So I think we'll find out. You know, There's often been a question recently, especially in Minnesota. You know, Tyus Jones is a beloved figure here. Can he be a starting point guard in the NBA, or can he get to that point at some point? I think we'll have a lot more evidence to that point here in the next month. And then just with uh, you know their backup point guard position, Aaron Brooks didn't play very much uh, when, when Tyus was at the starting point guard with Teague was out earlier in the year. You know, it was just a few minutes here or there. It was really kind of patchwork. And I think it'll be interesting to see if the Timberwolves decide and Tom Thibodeau decides, okay, we have Aaron Brooks. He can be our backup point guard. That's what we signed him to be, you know, a depth point guard guy uh, right at the beginning uh, of training camp or if they say hey look we can't go like a month Aaron Brooks is our backup point guard we need to sign somebody else who's out there maybe on a 10-day deal or something like that so I think we'll find out exactly how they feel about Aaron Brooks exactly how they feel about their point guard depth right now by if they make a move uh, of some type here in the next couple days to a week or so
2: it's a team that's won five in a row right now and all we heard about ad nauseum on the pregame is how great they are in the fourth quarter (laughs) <laughs> right, hey, we, were, we were talking right. on the broadcast last night about how uh, midway through it's going to be like, oh, they're going to try and finish him right here, right now, and and you you just know better, right? Um, you, it's, it, it, that's a pretty good Nuggets team that they're playing, and and you know you take the win any way you can. But what did you see happen differently in that fourth quarter than you have in others? Other than they weren't making shots, but what was going on there?
1: Yeah, they weren't making shots, but then you know, like the Nuggets are a team that has like all these quick hitters. You know, like Will Barton can come in and and give you 10 points off, you know, in in two minutes. And that's just kind of the way it is. And offensively, they stopped flowing. They got into, you know, the TNT crew, like Charles Barkley and those guys did the game uh, where the Wolves played the Lakers on Monday, Christmas night. And they talked about the Wolves' prevent offense, where they get up in games and then they just kind of stick and dribble the air out of the ball and wait till there's less than five seconds left in the shot clock and hoist up a bad shot. And they did that in that fourth quarter. You know, the first two and a half quarters last night, they played some of the best offensive basketball I've seen them play in all year 71 points in the first half they were cutting they were moving the ball they were getting trading good shots for great shots you know everybody was touching on, on every possession and it led to points it led to easy opportunities it was the best offense i've seen them play this year bar on. and then you know they get that big lead and things start going wrong and it turns back into the, the ball sticks in one guy's hands they dribble the air of the ball they let the shot clock go all the way down they take bad shots they miss Denver goes down and scores on the other end. Oftentimes, the Wolves' bad offense can lead to bad defense on the other end, and that's what happened last night, and that's what's happened in a lot of fourth quarters this year. Up until recently, the last 10 or 15 games has been much better. A lot of that's been kind of Jimmy Butler-induced, um, but they kind of reverted back to what they'd been more towards the start of the year in the fourth quarters, um, and it had a similar end result where they end up blowing up a pretty big lead, and obviously having to go to overtime, and, and requiring Jimmy Butler's heroics once again to survive. A you victory.
2: know, uh, Jimmy Butler's really settling in, in here in mini, and uh, it, it really feels as though this is fast becoming his ball club. And when you think about the young talent on this team, the young young talent, um, w- w- what a welcome sight that is. And and for anybody that recalls the 0-4 run, I'm not saying that this is as good as that team, but but you at least in target center have the feel a little bit of that. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, you look last night, it's a Wednesday night game against the Denver Nuggets. Now, Denver's good, but they're not like a sexy team. Um, you know, they're not like Cleveland or Golden State coming to town, and yet it was a sellout, and the, the place was packed.
2: There was a buzz.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I think that says something about the the people are maybe starting to believe in this team, and they want to see what this team is about, and I think a lot of that's come down to Jimmy Butler. A, Jimmy Butler's played some pretty electric basketball over the last month or so, and B, he's just carrying them to wins, and The record's getting to a point where it's kind of undeniable that, like, people might have been skeptics at the beginning of the year and rightfully so because of the last 13 uh, years of bad basketball. But they're 22 and 13 now through 35 games. They're clearly going to be a playoff team. I mean, they're they're a good team. People want to come watch them. People are excited about them again. Uh, I think a lot of people believe this, but, like, people in Minnesota do like basketball. They just want to watch winning basketball or like good basketball, and Jimmy wow. Butler has kind of delivered on that.
2: Tibbs was all over that last night in the post-game post presser, you know, when he was talking about, hey, look, you know, it doesn't matter what you go to, whether it's the, the, the Vikings, Twins, Wild Wolves here, whatever we're doing. People in this town uh, want to win, and they, they want to back a winner. But when you go through years of just absolute heartbreak and nothing happening, this town just, did. It, it, they don't, they're not, they're, this isn't Green Bay. This isn't Buffalo in football. It's not Chicago with the Cubs. And those are really very rare uh, occurrences when you get fan bases like that. What you're seeing here is very Atlanta-like or wherever. But the thing that stands out to me, Jace, 10-7 and 7 on the road, and Oak, Oklahoma City, who's in second place, 6-11 and 11 on the road. Now, it's interesting. They've won six in a row. The Wolves have won five in a row, but it's the road play. So it's great in target center, but it's the road play from the Wolves, which has really got me me flipping the eyebrow.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a big product of kind of your, your veteran leaders. your Jamie Butler. your Taj Gibson. Uh, your Jamal Crawford. your are Jeff Teagues. Obviously, he'll be out for a while now, but those guys, it's not going to affect them whether they're playing at home or on the road. Now When, when the Wolves have a younger team and you know, can maybe be a little bit more affected by opposing team runs and, and crowd atmospheres. You're maybe going to see quite a bit of difference between the home having the home energy and, and not having that on the road. But, you know, like, like Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson, I think they approach every single game the exact same way and bring a similar type of energy and, and know what they have to do uh, maybe a little bit differently to win on the road versus winning at home and exactly what that takes. Um, you know, guys who have won everywhere and every location for so many years. You know, their success, their recipes, those all travel well. and you know, They're going to get it done on the road. They're going to get it done at home. They're going to get it done in China. If they go over there, you know, uh, those, they know what they have to do. And I think that's kind of a product. When you have a veteran team, those guys know what to win, no matter what the circumstances or, or the location.
2: Indeed they do. Jace, we want to thank you for uh, your time here today. Great stuff talking Wolves. By the way, congratulations to Cheryl Reeve, who signed herself a long-term contract and is now the GM of the Minnesota Lynx. We'll be back with more as we continue the ride. Pete Wagner in for Royce right here on 1500 ESPN. And we welcome you back to the ride with Patrick Royce. Pete Wagner in the seat here. Loving this, guys. Thanks for... uh, having me on board you haven't burnt the building down yet so you're doing good (laughs) trying yeah right (laughs) manny you over there yeah manny's here too okay good just want to make sure i've kept him (laughs) uh brandon warren he is from the athletic zone coverage great online uh publication there uh here to talk some baseball and you know i was gonna go you darvish out of the box with you brandon but bigger news has come out today
3: I wish it hadn't. But, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now with this whole situation.
2: Well, obviously, this thing's mushrooming. We opened the show with it. We talked about the Miguel Sano situation and the allegations that have been levied against him of uh, sexual assault with a well-known photographer who works within uh, the target field premise there and this was on an off-site situation his player agent was present during uh, some of this and and so there's just lots of layers to this. there's also some, just some discussion with the club privately being concerned about his weight where he's at if he sticks at third base what is uh market of uh, uh, of what's he like out of the market what could he bring? could he be moved for a Chris Archer who knows um so now what's going on in your opinion what's next?
3: I mean, a full and thorough investigation to see what exactly happened. And, you know, I know Betsy, I don't want to give her full name in case people don't know who she is, but I know her and, and she's, a, you know, she's a credible person. She's not trying to get something out of this in terms of financial compensation or notoriety. The idea that anybody would want to be known as a victim for some sort of notoriety kind of boggles, boggles my mind. I, I have nothing bad to say about Miguel Sano from our personal dealings, but. At the end of the day, you only know someone as far as, as you interact with them. And so, you know, I, I I think the court of public opinion is a dangerous place. And, you know, we're all going to condemn him in, before we know all the facts. And that's obviously a very dangerous thing, too. But, you know, I trust MLB and, and the twins to do their internal investigations. And whatever they determine hopefully will be the right thing.
2: Well, and there's uh, plenty condemning Betsy on social media as well. So, I mean, it, it, it goes yeah. both ways. So when you come out with this type of information... Uh, it's very difficult. But what it doesn't do in the process prior to this, 24 hours ago, the Twins had the shopping cart out, and were uh, they have mm-hmm. been, obviously, and they've been putting feelers out there to see, well, what can we get for this guy? So, you know, clearly, you know, Eduardo Escobar uh, did a nice job over at third. What, he hit 20-plus homers throughout the mm-hmm. season, and, you know, obviously, I don't know if that's careering for him, but uh, fact is is it, it proved that there was life after Sineau at third base. So now, is there a black hole there again?
3: I mean, you have to see what happens and kind of ride the wave because you know all this Chapman I think was a thirty-game suspension for domestic violence, and I think there was obviously some more evidence there. But there is a precedent, and so it just depends on what direction punishment goes if it's deemed that this is you know evident enough to to have such a punishment. So I don't know; it, it's difficult waters to tread because. You don't know what the twins know about anything else that could have happened or if this is the first thing they've ever heard. And Betsy said the twins were not aware of it prior to now. So they weren't shopping him because they knew this was coming out. She wanted to get out in front of that for sure. And this isn't that they took away her access to the stadium or anything. It doesn't, it's not this kind of thing where she's after money or anything like that. So it's not meant to be anything that, you know, messes with to other than to just get her story out because psychologically she has been damaged by this, no and question. so you know, at, th- at third base, I don't know what that means. I mean, it probably means Escobar until you know this gets all sorted out. If there, if it bleeds into you know later into the
2: off-season. Well, and I was referring to the black hole meaning more from the injury because obviously that was an issue. And then, you know, he had some surgery. He's doing better. He's working. Uh, But being 290 pounds when he's listed and secretly being told, you know, he's 260, they're not digging the weight factor, and now they got a DH for his baseman and, you you know, the whole deal. So it just becomes, okay, so he's probably not going to live there if he stays here because he's going to continue to have weight issues and can't play the corner. So, to me, forget about all that other discussion. It's still a black hole.
3: Yeah, I think it's wear and tear, too. I mean, what you and I could do at 22 and 23 at a certain weight isn't the same as 28, 29, 30. So, even though he played a passable third base when he was healthy last year, it doesn't mean that that's going to be that way always. It's just like investments. Past results
2: don't guarantee future performance,
3: and you need to take care of your body in a way that it will pay you back in the future, and that's a legitimate concern.
2: We're speaking with Brandon Warren of the Athletic Zone Coverage. And, you know, Brandon, we to get into the pitching staff, obviously you got uh, Berrios and you have uh, Irv coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of other pieces. But there's a lot of big names being dropped out. You know, we're hearing about Darvish. We're hearing about possibly trying to make a move for Archer. I mean, are, are these just, you know, hot stove league chatter points, or is this possible?
3: It feels a lot stronger this time around than it has at any point in the past. And I think what it boils down to is that they need to land someone who can start a playoff game for them. And the, the, if the plan is to keep building, which they've said all along, well, what's the next step from playing in a wild card game? You want to be in the division series. Well, you need three starters in the division series to go boom, boom, boom for one, two, three. Sometimes you need a fourth guy if the series is, is set up a certain way or if you get caught playing back-to-back days and, and can't structure your location the right way. Or you got a guy like Kyle Gibson who could be that fourth guy. Or you Maybe it's Trevor May or Felix Jorge, Steven Gonzalez. But you need those first three guys. And so you've got two of those three right now in Santana and Barrios. That third guy could be any one of a number of guys. It could be a number one type like Darvish or Archer. Mm-hmm. It could be a number two, three type like Cobb, Lance Lynn. Or it could be Jake Arrieta who, depending on where he goes next, could be your ace. He could be your three. You need a third starter, and I don't mean a number three starter necessarily, but one guy to round out that trio so that you know you have a chance come playoff time.
2: Well, the interesting thing about Darvish is the last thing you remember is the last game he pitched, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let's be honest. You can have a bad day; it happens. But you know, you see so many pitchers that have been so good throughout the entire year, and you know, I think of Santana. You know, especially with that slider. You know, they're talking mm-hmm. a lot about how that was kind of falling off against the Yankees in that one game. Uh, he looked really tired to me in September because he had carried a lot of load there. I mean, th- that starts to stack up on these guys, and that has to go into the play uh, when you make these decisions, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. Durability. I mean, I there's, some, there's some turmoil with Darvish getting traded in the season and spending yeah. his entire career with the Rangers. Now, what, what I keep coming back to is two of the guys that can pick up if a pitcher is tipping – that I trust the most are Tory Hunter and Paul Molitor, two guys very, very strongly involved in the decision-making with this club. If you go to Tory Hunter and say, can you see something from this guy that we can fix? Then you say, ah, yeah, maybe we spend five years and $25 million per year on that number one starter with the idea that a fix is pretty easy. But you know, two of the smartest players that have, have worn a Twins uniform in the last 20, 25 years, they're going to they're gonna carry the water on these negotiations in a lot of ways that you might not expect from non-front office types. I think it's going to be very, very key. If these guys sign off on you, Darvish, and the money is right, pull the trigger.
2: Where's Phil Hughes in all this?
3: You know, he's still on the comeback trail, but a second recurrence of thoracic outlet is just not promising. The yeah, first, first time around is really bad. You know, you got Chris Young, you got a couple other guys that, you know, they come back from it, but they're not the same and You have to reinvent yourself. And, and that's what Hughes tried to do last year. But the second recurrence or, you know, a repair... It just really makes it difficult to expect anything. You know, maybe he becomes a reliever. He had some success as a reliever with the Yankees the year they won the World Series back, I think, like 2009, but he was a different guy back then. But he, he's he showed that he's willing to tweak his repertoire more change ups, fewer fastballs, more fastballs with movement. I trust that he'll continue to tinker and keep going out there as long as he can gut it out but he, his body might just
2: not cooperate. Well, and he's fighting for his professional pitching life, really. Yep, it's very exactly. fair to say here at this stage of the game. And So if you have a guy doing that, that's not really what you want to have, uh, anchoring or being a part of a rotation. So uh, there's going to have to be some some moving parts there that that will take take care of that. Do you see the Twins have obviously added a couple of arms for the bullpen. Do you, what else do you see them looking to tweak here? I mean, that was a pretty good ball club last year. Yeah,
3: I mean, I see it as a team that's on the up and up, even if you don't consider additions because – Kansas City's been gutted by free agency. I mean, those guys haven't signed yet, but they're not going back to Kansas City. Cleveland has lost Santana. Brian Shaw, they'll lose Jay Bruce. So by lifting the water level, the Twins are automatically floating. Add a couple of the bullpen arms. I think you could still add a bat. I keep coming back to Logan Morrison, who became an elevate and celebrate guy with the Rays last year. No compensation tied to him. To DH can play first base. And you, Then you, ha, you can prepare for life after Joe Maurer or after Joe Maurer, the starter, if he, you know, re-signs. I, I think he, you can look for one more bat. Otherwise, it's starter or bust.
2: Hey, it, starter or bust is what you said, right?
3: Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you gotta you got to <sighs> fill out that rotation.
2: Oh check this out. Uh, with as dusty of a team as Detroit is, Chicago could finish second. I mean, if those two teams are in big troubles there, that's incredible stuff. So we're running out of time on this segment, Brandon. I just had to throw that little zinger in there. You uh, that, got it. Yeah, that, no, that's amazing if before. Chicago finishes second in this era. Uh, thanks oh. for joining us here. Big day in news and baseball, and it's a uh, bummer to hear what we heard.
3: Yeah. Well, be well. It was good
2: to talk to you again. You too. Great to talk to you. We'll be in touch soon. That's Brandon Warren, Athletic Zone Coverage. You're listening to The Ride right here on 1500 ESPN.
0: This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you.